Thank you for tuning in to episode 29 of the Construction Dorkcast, Take Me to Your Data. In this episode, we talk about this thing called data with Amanda Harbison of Nika and Kevin Suhu of Ignite. We dive into what is data, why should we care, what strategies should we be using to collect and analyze the data, and how can small and medium-sized contractors get into the data game. We had a lot of fun with this one, and we hope you all enjoy as well. Thanks again. We are live. All right. Thanks for joining us today, everybody. This is the Dorkcast. We're back. It's my favorite time of the bi-weekly. Joining my fellow construction dorks for episode 29, Take Me to Your Data. That's right. We're going to have some special guests here today. Y'all might even know them. We have Amanda Harbison with us from Nika and Kevin Suhu from Ignite. We'll get to them in just a second. They are going to be talking all things data. They've been doing research, digging into some of the most incredible things that we can pull. That's our, that's our digital gold these days. So I'm sure this is going to be a great, uh, a great show. But as we always start with, we introduce our, uh, our drinks. And I'm going to start tonight and tell you all, this is a public service announcement from your Ironman of IT. COVID's over, but things still spread. Wear your masks. Be careful. Don't send your kids to school when they're sick. So today's brought to you by Echinacea Tea. I'm just trying to recover and get past this cold. So I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to be riding nice and clean on this one. But my, my son made that mug and also I'm pretty awesome. ha happy about that. Um, that's me for this week. Trent, it's off to you. Cool. Hey, I, I was going back and forth. I've, I've got some work to do tonight, but I decided to go ahead and or a small one so uh the software still makes sure the lines are straight you'll be fine yeah 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 you know it, it does most of that for you right? but the um it's uh from hard truth distillery here in indiana cool. this is a four-year um double oak smoke barrel bourbon nice. so nice that's a good one should a little productivity juice right <laughs> i think i'll go next because because we have Kevin here, I'm doing the Hakushu, which uh -oh. has to be my favorite Japanese whiskey uh, just across the board. Like of every almost everything I've tried, other than when I tried that one with you, um, I can't even remember where we were. I think we were in San Diego. But Hakushu is wonderful. And it's got a little bit of smokiness, a little bit of peatiness, just barely, you know, but really, really makes Japanese whiskey taste just that much better. <laughs> I would like to pause it there for a second and let you know that if you ever want to know about Japanese whiskey, <laughs> the man that is joining us today has forgot more about it than I know. Yeah. And he did one of the most fantastic tastings I've ever had with it. So if you have a yeah. chance, for sure. take it. I'm telling uh -huh. you right now, you'll love yeah. it. That's it. I just had to jump we'll in. Travis, nice take journey. it over. All right. Uh, I've got uh, smooth ambler. Um, contradiction bur bourbon here. This is from the Appalachian whiskey in uh, Virginia and Tennessee. So uh, really, really good bourbon. Get it in my front of my face. Uh, my wife's or my okay. daughter's name is is Ellie. So she likes the label because we call her Ellie the elephant. So it's uh, it's all around a, a good whiskey. Um, all right, Aunt Amanda, I don't know if we got you the memo about the drinking. So no, but I'll tell you what I did drink smart water, <laughs> but if I had my choice, it's angel angels envy oh, rye. That's a very good one. Not the right regular, on. the rye. The rye. That's a good one. That was and, uh, my once you go in the order. 
It's a good flavor. Yeah. Why don't you go ahead and give yourself a quick introduction too? While we, yeah. While we yeah. Absolutely. So name's Mana Harvison from NECA. I'm the director of analytics. I've been with NECA for over three years now. Um, and I've gotten to see it all in terms of data and just the sheer fact of how much construction in general is just sitting on mounds of data just blows my mind. So when you said, let's talk about data, I was like, absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. All right, Kevin. Kevin. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, hello, dorks. Glad to be here. My, I got Jonathan the uh, same, the uh, Hakushu 12. This filter is Canada, but uh, I got the same Hakushu 12, uh, single malt, uh, quintessential Japanese whiskey. Yes. So um, it's definitely a favorite of mine as well. And yeah, as, as John just said, uh, pretty well balanced, a little bit peaty. Um, but no, I do enjoy that one. And a little bit about myself. Yeah, I've been uh, in the construction space for what, 16 years now, the first 10, 11 uh, at the contractor level, driving innovation technology um, early on the iPads, early plan grid customer way back in the day. Seen it and done a lot of that stuff on the, uh, you know, the contractor side. And last five years, I've uh, done my run on software side, a um, couple of startups, Rombix, doing some great stuff with some uh, productivity analytics. Uh, Dado, I think you had Jake or you know, Jake and, and, and those guys are doing some really cool stuff around uh, search. And then now uh, with, um, you know, cloud governance, content protection, kind of the whole nine yards around. You got a lot of stuff sitting around. It's got to be put somewhere. And uh, we think you have a really nice uh, story around why it should be us. Cool, cool. Uh, well, I'll go ahead and jump in first. Um, and part of the, the reason I was going to do that is, you know, this whole um, episode idea came out of a discussion that Kevin and I had um, around, we were actually doing work work, believe it or not, we were doing work work and we were kind of talking about his transition over to, to Ignite and everything. And, and Kevin, maybe you could dive in, right? And, and start to tease out a little bit of, of some of the insights that you guys were getting, just, I mean, just looking at the, the data sets that you have through, through the construction side of things. Yeah. You know, I think what's really interesting as, as I've, I've been with Ignite for a little while now and We've got quite a large install base of AEC specific. So Ignite sells all over all verticals, but when we started to dig into, you know, how does Ignite do an AEC uh, vertical, there, was, there became some really interesting, you know, narratives around, well, we've got over 3,000 customers uh, across the world too. So we're not talking strictly United States or North America per se, largely, but, you know, US, I'm, I'm sorry, all over the place. And from those 3,000 customers, what is happening? What's the trends? Um, you know, average uh, number of folders, average number of files, how many times do they turn over? Um, how many times are they shared, open, viewed? I mean, you, you could probably have a laundry list of, of all these different data points. The one that came out, and I think is kind of timely for a lot of, on top of a lot of minds now is sort of security and, you know, even governance to some degree and compliance. We, you know, we see MMC and FedRAMP's a big, big term that's running around, especially in the, in the AEC vertical right now. But you know, ransomware, that's one where it's like, okay, we know it's a problem. Uh, we see the analyst reports, we see the news. And so we decided, hey, what does our install base look like? And so we started to glean some from the data, you know, data story, let's call it, right? Like, hey, we can see that AEC of our install base, AEC is disproportionately being uh, attacked, right? And 
And that view is only from what Ignite can see. So it, it could very well be a contractor could have been breached and maybe it never touched their Ignite instance. We don't see that. But as it kind of really directly intersects with you know, our, our, our product, yeah, we could tell. And so disproportionately, true, uh, 2x, 2.3x actually. Oh, wow. So we are you know, objectively saying, hey, there's a, there short, should have already been a wake-up call, granted, right? But now it's like, okay, 2x, right? Twice as likely to be, to be, to be impacted, at least as it intersects with our product. And so it's probably bigger, right? When you talk about all the other vectors, you can be reached on. But yeah, we're, we're trying now to sort of, sort of take this message and really try to use this as an, another wake up call to say, right. hey, you know, this is gonna happen. And a lot of sort of the response, initial responses is kind of an IT problem. It's like, let the IT guys deal with it. But I think from our standpoint, it's, it is true to a degree, but it's like, what do you do when your project now, you just lost all your drawings mm -hmm. and your drawings are probably gone for probably a week. We're not talking a one or two day situation. We're talking a week, maybe more. Um, and now it's like, all right, now it's a business problem. And we all knew that, right? But it's more like, let's drive the conversation. Okay, is three days sufficient to be gone with drawings and change orders and submittals and everything else or 10 days, whatever it is. But if it's gonna happen, this is the fallout. Let's have that data sort of story around. Okay, so part of it is twice as likely to get hit. For us, what's the average recovery time? What are the average number of files you're needing to recover? So yeah, those are uh, really interesting stats that, again, we took from our install base. So these are real numbers, not analytic, analyst numbers that are like more forecasted, but this is right. you know true objective. Hey, this is the story right now. And you know with 3,000 samples, I feel like that's, that's going to give you a pretty good cross-section. Yeah, it's a good sample of, size. Uh, of, of that, yeah, of the vertical. So yeah, there's more, yeah. more to come there. And we're, we're looking to definitely share, share that story to anyone that wants to hear it in, in a more in-depth detail, for sure. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks. Well, so Amanda, we're going to pivot to you too. So, you know, Kevin's world is, you know, I would say like more of the, the raw, the operational data, you know, and they're analyzing all of that. When you get into Nika now, now you're talking, you're talking data points and in, in whatever charts and graphs and pivots, you know, in, so from your high level view, what are you kind of seeing from the Nika standpoint and what's, what's the fun stuff that you're starting to tease out? Well, the fun stuff is, <clears throat> well, we have small and large contractors. So no matter where they are in their path, it's always going to be fun because the large contractors, they have their stuff down. They're able to do a lot of tracking. They some of the coolest dashboards, right? And um, I think some of the best ones are like the safety ones. And some of the larger contractors actually have those live screens of like incident that just happened or like this needs to be addressed right now. But then we have our smaller and medium contractors who want to grow and their biggest thing to grow is data. And they are all at different starting points. Some are still learning, you know, like, where do we even start? You know, what's important to track? Um, and then others like the medium ones are, I know what I need to track. I need to find the right software for me. And that's always an issue, you know, integrations. Um, and, you know, what we're seeing is, some of the cool stuff they've been tracking is like attendance, um, some of the productivity measures. And uh, we actually worked with one contractor specifically. And the biggest thing with like CEOs and owners, they just don't have time for the most part, unless they, you know, assign that champion to either do the research or to set up their uh, data, you know, aspect, essentially, it's not going to happen. So we took this contractor and was like, hey, can we just take all of your raw data 
just for fun. Can we have it? Just figure out what we find. Um, and it was so cool what we found. And he was amazed too. Um, for instance, um, you know, some of his apprentices were consistently missing the same days. And it was like, he went to go find out. It was because of school. So it was like, all right, let's shift us around a little bit. Um, and other ones where he thought some of his main guys who you know, are super trustworthy would be there are some of the most um, non-attended, you know, on the <laughs> job site occasionally. Um, so it's just little insights like that, which were just really cool to see. But that factor of unless you're going to take the time or find that right person to do it, it's going to be a mishit. Um, but contractors in general, they always have that gut feeling like they know how to run their business. It's, it's in business for a reason. But if they almost want to take it to that next level of seeing, like, where am I? How can I improve? And the only way you're going to know if you improved was benchmarking it from the start. So that's kind of where we're seeing things. Oh, cool. I have, a, I have a question that kind of piggybacks on that. And, and, and I've got to talk to a lot of contractors over the last year. And by and large, what they're saying is we do want more. We want to do more with the data we have and we want to collect more data. And then when I try to deep, drill down to get to, do you know how to use this? Who are you going to have this go to? What do you even consider data? It's, it's a little less like you did absenteeism, which is beautiful. That's really clear data. Um, but what do you got? What do you both see as, as the biggest misconceptions that are out there around sort of the use of data, what data can bring a company? What, what are the things that you look at and go, well, that's not really what data can do for you? Uh, do you mind if I go first for this one? I love go this question. It. So my biggest thing is data is like a story. So unless you have all pieces of that story, it's going to make no sense to you. So if someone were to just take the end of a movie and just tell you like happily ever after, after all the challenges, your first question is going to be like, well, what were those challenges and what was the story? Um, so when it comes to data, the biggest thing you always have to do is make sure your framework and your foundation in the design is correct. And you ask the parameters. So for instance, if you get a graph and it's like contractors say in the next five years, they're hopeful, but the sample size with three contractors, is that viable data? <laughs> no. Um, so for me, the biggest misconceptions is not asking the appropriate questions in terms of designing your question and then what parameters were used. So I'll kick it over to you, Kevin. Yeah, I think there's a lot to have the framework, sort of that vision. And I think the other part to, you know, sort of the operational, like there's a lot of, to your point, blind spots, right? We still got a lot of people on paper. Um, and yeah, they feel like, oh, we scanned it. And now it's digitized. And that doesn't necessarily open, you know, sort of that analysis. And so I, I, my my two cents is like, I, we've got, we've, we're here, a lot of great stories. Contractors, you know, sort of taking that analysis, that vision, getting an edge, right? A couple of contractors are really at their, uh, their progress uh, and their billings and looking at how we can correlate that to risk. And I think that's a really great story. And that that begins to sort of align to the, the, the elite of the elite contractors. And so, yeah, I think they've got that figured out. And now when you go to the small, midsize, got a lot of paper running around, they're not going to have necessarily resources. So, my, so I think my concern too is like, it's not going to be equal for all. We'll see kind of what sort of shakes out but this notion of like, yeah, we've got to have all the data so we can draw some conclusions on it. Again, like, you know, your top 100 DNR guys probably, they're going to be on that, right? It's like, how can we enable, how do we help 
bring that story then to the small and mid-sized? How do we continue to help make sure, hey, if you're getting off of paper, you got to have some kind of real digital solution so that, you know, like you were talking about sort of attendance, right? How much of that might, was not, if it's on paper-based or, you know, how you collected it, I'm not sure. But yeah, we've got to figure out how do we continue to drive digital even to the edge, which is the field, right? Because we've still got a fair amount of paper and that paper is a blind spot. And so I, I worry, like we've got a lot of this AI and a lot of this really great predictive stuff, but without some of these paper-based, you know, workflows that are we're still running around, how good is that AI? How good is that predictive? Because I think there's, again, blind spots here that could drop, you know, create some unnecessary risk, not knowing where those blind spots are. Yeah, and I'll just add one more thing. <clears throat> is a lot of people think like, if I start data tracking, it's gonna answer all my problems. And that's not true. The best thing is, like you said, Jonathan, like I need to figure out why I need my like data. And then once you do have data, it's just like IoT, like when you have all these devices, unless you're actually gonna take the time to set up the routines behind IoT and then actually take the data and then figure out a different lifestyle, it's pretty much useless. So yeah. if you actually take that data and say, all right, I see I have a problem. I now need to fix it. And I need to take the data again to see if I actually made an impact. I was going to jump in too, but, and this is a conversation we had with the CPC about the, the turds and data ponds is the hard, the hard thing to fight then too, is like, you want to have a plan. You want to know what insights you want out, but if you aren't collecting data, you can't go back and recollect it. So sometimes some of those solutions that we're doing, we're just collecting data just to collect it and we'll figure out what to do with it later. I, I just want to throw that in there. That's a yeah. thing I had. Well, so, so oh, go ahead, Trent. Sorry. Yeah. So I, Kevin, you know, so, or both of you, so, what are some strategies for, you know, that paper for, for those blind spots, like you called them, Kevin? Um, because I know we, we've done some productivity tracking using data. And a lot of times, you know, in our world, the projects that we're getting advanced in and tracking that are the ones that are utilizing, you know, things like VDC, BIM, and, and the more advanced technologies. And then you do have those paper blind spots that are still existing across the rest of your company. So what, what's the strategy for somebody to, to kind of take that and, and weld it into the rest of it? Because when we started tracking inefficiencies, the problem that you come into now is they're seeing a lot of inefficiencies. You know, it's opening their eyes to like, holy crap, we suck, we suck. But now they're relating it to that VDC and that BIM and those things that, are, that were being used on that project. Um, so, uh, <laughs> so like in a lot of ways, um, it's almost setting us back. Like, I, I guess it's, you know, is, is there a strategy for, yeah. for collecting that data, but then also, you know, using those blind, you know, can we pull a metric right. from the blind spots? Can we do something? I mean, I think it's a culture to, to begin with, right? It's the people side. Just so a real life for me example, right? So when I was a contractor level, we're like, hey, we got the fab shop and, you know, they're, they're punching through sheet metal and they're bending, shaping and getting it out to the field. And we're trying to measure this. And so to the people side, there was this whole, like, we got to do something about it. And a lot of people start to like, just throw a solution in. They don't talk to the guys on the fab, the guys and girls in the fab shop. They don't really take into account, like, what exactly is like their daily job. So what would happen is like, we put a solution in. And the guys in the shop, guys and girls in the shop, like I can still be faster writing all this crap down on a paper and pad and a pen mm -hmm. than logging into your system and telling you I just punched out five, you know, pieces of duct and it takes me 10 minutes. And so I think there's this, maybe a little collaboration is the word here. It's like, 
these solutions that are coming to market now, especially because prefab's super hot, right? The FMA, like how much of that stuff is being implemented or deployed or even developed with that end user in mind, right? We've got an agenda, hey, that the finance guys want to know, the project guys want, the BDC guys guys want to know. What about the actual people that are producing that duct, that conduit, that, you know, that prefab? And so are we not, are we involving them enough to say, hey, this solution makes sense? You know, if, we, if we're talking about software, it's the UI, UX, does it actually jive for them? Yeah, field low bandwidth, right? Yeah, I just want to be able to, to prove that the data showed the inefficiency. It didn't create it, right? Well, like how, like right. that's the big distinction. To your point, Kevin, we've tried to put things in place where, where we've tried to track some of that stuff. And then, so we'll go to the, the pipe fitters or whatever and be like, you're inefficient. Well, yeah, but the reason that I'm inefficient is because you're making me put stuff into a system that's making me inefficient. So where does it really break down? <laughs> is there a line item that says I spent five minutes filling out this form? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. No, that that's actually, so that's like a true story. We, we had somebody um, a long time ago at the crew talking to us about, you know, deploying iPads and going paperless and then really taking a step back and taking a look at it and realizing that it was taking the form in. And super is longer to fill out the iPad version than it did the paper version. So you can yeah. truly introduce productivity yeah. hits through technology sure, right. gains. So you're gaining data, but you're actually, and then if you really looked over their shoulder, they were checking the easiest box half the time. And the quality of that. Because it's yeah. faster. So I actually had this conversation with somebody else and I'd love, you know, to get Amanda and Kevin's thought on it. And, and there's this whole quantitative and qualitative analysis around the quality of your data that you're getting in. And it's a, it, it was really hard for me to understand, but it was really, a, a, there's a, a multiplier of how often and how much of the data you're collecting and how much could it be bad data. So mm -hmm. if you're collecting a lot of it and it has little issues, it could become really big issues. If you're creating, if you're collecting small amounts of it, but, it's crappy. It's all going to be crappy. And then there's the, so there's a, there's an analysis there. And I'm wondering if, if that goes into any of the data analytics or data analysis that you guys have done and, and how you go about looking at that. Amanda, yeah. I'll kick it to you. Cause you're, you're shaking your head. So I'm, I'm guessing you got an answer. <laughs> yes. Uh, the term junk in junk out in any data realm is so true. And it's so it's annoying because like you said, whether it's even small or large, after a while, when you have large data sets, for anyone to go through it, they're one going to be upset. Um, two, um, after a while, uh, your your percent error will just be large because if you even hire like big companies to do like data processing right now, they'll do their set queries to get as much as they can. But if something isn't consistent, at least consistently wrong through your data, they're actually just going to write it off as a percent error, and you're just going to have a higher and higher percent error, and you're your data is just going to be worthless after a while. Um, but in terms of, you know, like combating that, like you just said, the UI, uh, you know, anything where someone's going to have to be the front end user of a system is so important in design. And if it doesn't make sense to them, and then if you don't put it in a way where you're going to be able to compute it later, it's terrible. I mean, there's literally jobs coming up more and more called data liaisons where they're not necessarily an expert, you know, they're not like the hardcore coders, um, but you're also not like a contractor on the field 
but you know a little bit of both to be able to help communicate and either design an actual interface or be able to make sure that whatever you're going to compute is going to be viable. Um, it's just like so much fun because I deal with that. I, I deal with dirty data all the time and it just uh, frustrates me no matter what. Um, but you can say I, it I, pisses you off. Yeah. <laughs> well, if, if I had my angel, angels envy ride, I'd totally say that. Um, but it, it's something where design on all aspects and knowing your requirements up front, so important. So how about you, Kevin? Uh, you know, as I look at the big sort of construction technology, right, and I think Stacey Scapano a few years ago, he, cre- he threw this really telling stat, and I think it's true, they're largely 2,400 AEC startups, right, you know, uh, into selling into this space. And so I was like, okay, how many of those actually came out of industry? I got, you got to ask that serious question, because then what do they know about a guy or girl in the trailer in the middle of a job site trying to throw duct work or conduit in? Because Honestly, they don't, right? They've never been in industry. So I really have a fear around, yeah, there's a lot of players in this space. How many of them have actually been out on a job site wearing boots on a trailer? I could probably tell you not. A great majority, probably not. And so I think to combat, combat that or mitigate that, you know, kind of the last two startups I was with, that was a real concern. And at, you know, Dado and at Rumbix, there was someone from the field on staff in the early days, right? I think you had Stefan um, before on your previous. So that was, Stefan was the that that voice of reason um, for for the early designs of Dado. And the same at Rombix, there was another um, person from the field. I think he was retired, but yeah, he was also the voice of reason as we pushed out the you know product and that UI UX. There was someone behind the scenes from the last two startups where, yeah, we, you know, we're pushing product out because we, and we were, we were confident with it because somebody was the voice of reason that had actually been there on the job site. So, yeah, I think we got to make sure that design and all these other players coming in. You, you do always need that person on that, in that team. That's like, this is never going to fucking work. Yep. Right. I mean, <laughs> to slow, yeah. pump yeah. the brakes. Cause you know, I've been in the tech side before too, and everybody gets all excited and they're all idealistic and you just assume that everybody's going to use your product exactly as you write it. Yeah. And everybody hates that guy at the moment, right? <laughs> but what you don't get is he's, he's saving you. Yeah. Right. For sure. Oh it, no, that's the person that you pull to the front of the room and you're like, none of you want to listen to this, which is exactly why we have to listen to this right now. And we have to figure out how, you're immediately going to get around whatever it is we're going to give you because that's what you're going to do. You're going to take the path of least resistance. Like, you know, superintendents are like water. They take the path of least resistance. They will go where, where they need to go to get things done. So I, but I, I'm going to pull from a question here because Travis Altaus, just other Travis Travis. as it is on this show. (laughs) Um, Are there tools out there to compare your data to? Like if I collect over the course of a three-year, $13 million project, are there good resources for benchmarks to compare our performance? Or do you see these used more internally? Um, I know Amanda Electri did some work um, to help out creating some benchmarks more around COVID, um, especially, you know, the, the Electri COVID reports, if nobody's read them, they're fascinating. Um, really helped a lot of contractors, not only in the electrical world, but that was passed out to everybody. It was an open source. You could go get it. So I'm wondering if there's more than just that out there um, in your in your experience. Um, well, the first thing I'm always going to say is people are selfish with their data, and rightfully so. Uh, it's a gold mine. 
Uh, it's very rare for people to say, oh, I'd love to share with the world because it could be good or it could be bad. So people never know. And that big brother aspect scares so many people. Or it but, could expose a, expose a weakness. You know, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, but in terms of just good comparison factors, I mean, my defaults are always Bureau of Labor Statistics, um, Business Economic Bureaus. Um, they do a lot of good annual surveys and census two different things, um, but they're great to compare to in general, if you want like number of employees or, you know, uh, revenue, there are certain things like that. But otherwise, I mean, one of the best things about NECA is one of the highest things on any survey is networking. So it's finding a contractor like you. And if you can really make that trust relationship of saying, hey, I really want to figure out how you got to where you are. That's pretty much the main avenue in my view. I love the answer. And, and I think you said this before, Amanda, about safety. And it, it is where we've seen the industry be okay sharing a lot of their data. They've also been forced to share their data by, <laughs> by their uh, insurance companies to really kind of benchmark and figure out this whole, not only it, it's a, the EMR rating, right? And, mm -hmm. and a lot of contractors, that's, you can't win certain jobs without a good EMR rating. And, you know, I know a lot of companies that, you know, put that up on a board, like sales numbers at times, you know, how long and how low is it and how low can we go and how can we get it lower? Um, it would be nice to see the team or to see people starting to do that from a productivity perspective across the board to get, good benchmarking ideas to even the field out a little bit, but then also I think then compare it to modular and prefab as we start to move to new means and methods. We don't have a, we don't have a really good understanding of that. And we we're not going to get it from an individual shop. Travis, you know, most people use it internally. And if you, if you do things better incrementally, then you're getting better. And hopefully your bottom line is getting better, but it would be a hell of a lot better if we could share it a lot more. Well, I think this is a good a place to transition back to Kevin then too, because, you know, with the, the world that you've been living in, I think that this is the play that, that Ignite, Autodesk, Procore, everybody's like, well, we're, we're trying to get everybody into our solutions and then maybe we can anonymize the data and we can start zoning trends, right? Is that kind of, am I right there? Is that, is wow. that going to? No, I think that that's right. There's the gold. There's gold there that none of us really know. We just, there's a theory, and I think as a, as sort of the contractor lens goes, is like yeah, uh, safety is a good one. Risk, right? Um, right. Can we be more predictive around risk? So if, if you know, outhouse, if you're talking about performance in the realm of like, can we, you know, is it has is it correlated to risk? Okay, well, let's look at um, a drawing. Okay, how many times has the drawing already had? How many versions, revisions of a drawing had in at ten percent of the job? Is there a correlation because now we've got we've got a lot of design problems and the job is still moving forward like okay there's a correlation possibly or drawing came out and nobody's downloaded it or my subs haven't downloaded it that's a problem because they're not going to bid it in time um, so operationally i think yeah maybe even tactically it's like if we're talking about performance and we're executing on a job what is the amount of data how much is it changing how much is it actually being accessed right but no a lot of data doesn't get accessed at all um, to which can any of that be correlated to project risk um, and so we could be faster rather than waiting to 80 percent done of the project then we start to realize can we get better at 50 percent 40 percent 20 25 percent i think we can it's just yeah gotta look into the data 
And can I ask a question about sort of going back just a little bit to when we were sharing data? One of the one of the worries that I have, and this came out of being on the safety committee at a contractor and realizing that our other contractors really weren't recording their safety properly. And that's how they were getting better numbers. And it might be my biggest worry as you start to say, let's make our data public and compare with one another, is that you can get what amounts to chest pounding. Uh, with data, because you can you can basically ask different questions or set up different procedures to sort of fudge that data. I think Amanda, you're in a position where you can get cleaner data than than us. But if we start going out there and saying, "Hey, let's compare more than just our ENR," you know, I mean, I've seen it where I look at a contractor and I'm like, "I know you are not as safe as we are," and I know our numbers are worse because we're reporting more detail because for us, the numbers internally about being more safe and for you, the numbers about getting the next job are looking good. Do you feel that those biases that come in, like what are some of the things that you see that are, are causing people to misreport when they actually do get around to sharing their data? That's a great question. <clears throat> and the story I'm going to use is a little morbid. I apologize, but it's a real life story. We're um, really happy but, about morbid stories. Yeah. <laughs> so fun fact, my mom worked for the CDC for like over 30 years as a statistician and dealt with death and mortality, um, which was a fun one growing up. I, mean, <laughs> I was always going to die somehow. Right. Um, but uh, one of the things was survey design on how you actually ask your question and how is it actually interpreted. And one of the things they're asking is in what state did the person die? And they were legitimately asking for the state, like address. And the woman put laying down. So it's the best, it's the best example of it's all about how you interpret it and make it. And also the other thing too is whenever you do ask for data, if you can restrict your responses, like what's actually allowed to be input into a box or a drop-down menu, because the minute you have a open comment box or something without restrictions of don't report this, it has to be this, you're going to get everything. So, yeah. So how do we, yeah. How do we unbias data or how do we remove the bias from data? Right? Like, mm -hmm. so do you, do you have to trick the customer into in, into giving accurate data do you have to i mean and if you're no, tricking a, them are you implementing your own biases right, to right, tease out what you want, right. I, mean. right. I, I think there's a little you know kind of the, the topic before about data collection and blind spots i think you have to make a lot of it iot is great because it creates passive collection yes yeah but if we're passively collecting then it's like okay i probably have a very good it's now an apples apples no one is actually actively giving me this information i can passively collect and now the numbers are the numbers. I think that's one. I don't think that's the only answer, but to that point, yeah, we're moving into this IoT world, 5G's coming and then that's all becoming more ubiquitous. Then it's like, we're collecting a lot of passive data. I think there's then a different opportunity, like, okay, what is real? What is truth? And um, because we're not necessarily saying some asking for the information through a survey format, rather than it's already there. We already have the data. We're just going to take the that's slides. That's a good in. point. Yeah. I love that, but I would put out that people put their Apple Watch on their dog and let their dog run around the backyard <laughs> and get their steps. You know, I mean, like, like I, I know we will always break the mousetrap and we will always make it so that the data is not perfect. And but but I I am really worried. Like with with the more collection we go, and you guys talked about it earlier with the field. So right now, you know, the dorks really deal with the fact that in the field, technology has a bad reputation. 
And it does. Like if you look at the big numbers, it has a bad reputation. I think data might actually have a worse reputation in the field because it's almost always the stick and it's almost never the carrot. You're almost never offering the guy in the field an incentive. You're almost always offering him some way in which someone's going to tell him he's underperforming. Right. So do you, do you guys see some, some good ways that we can sort of incentivize people that are used to it being the stick to say, you know, this is good for you. We can, we can facilitate better if we know what the problem is. And like, what, what do you guys see there? Because we're, at the dorks we're trying to ch change the narrative for technology but i feel like you guys could help change the narrative for data in the field great question yeah well my two cents there would be um listening for one like anytime someone's going to create something without listening to all parties you're not going to create anything good um and then two is training that's a huge one and three i mean it's just like me like go run why well, it's going to make you healthier and you're going to be able to do many more things. Oh, okay. But if you just told me, go run, I'm going to give you the middle finger. Like right. I'm not going to go do that. Um, so the incentive, there does have to be an incentive. It's just like people filling out surveys. If you put a gift card at the end of that, you're going to get responses. But in terms of a good incentive based off contractors, that's up to, to anyone. Um, but that does it. That's my two cents. Kevin, what's yours? Yeah, I think there's, I would, on the same track, it, it is like they're the day, the day-to-day -day grind. Hey, um, can we use this some way so that you're getting home at a decent time? Another example I had, you know, back in the day was we're, you know, they, I, I was talking to some of our soups and like, okay, they're Sunday nights, they're getting the week ready because they're looking at the jobs and assigning who to the jobs and trying to cross-reference that to what certs they have. Do they have the OSHA certs? Do they have all these, and so they can get to the right, dispatch the right crew to the right jobs. And they're spending a whole Sunday night mm -hmm. doing that. And then it's like a whiteboard and magnets. And then someone knocks the board and half the magnets <laughs> fall out. <laughs> and yeah. And then, you know, we, we found us a great solution that helped, you know, digitize a lot of that and looked at all the certs and make sure we had all the certs and right. So now they're just moving these virtual objects. I mean, that's data to now it's useful for them. They're not trying to recall who's got what certs and, and, and firing out 50 text messages that night saying you need to be here, here and here. But now we've affected their pain point of, I don't want to spend my Sunday evening working because I should be having my God-given right to be off and spending it with my family or what have you on, on my Sunday. So if there's a sort of that pain around your job can be easier, we can help you out. Um, I think that's another way to engage people, which is like, I'd love to not do that anymore. <laughs> You know, I, I want to piggyback on that, Kevin, because the, that's the one problem I think we maintain in the industry that that whenever we find a productivity gain, we find a way to take that back and make other things happen and still work too late. And there's got to be this moment in which we go, OK, like, yeah, we got a productivity gain, but we're actually going to give you that time back so you can go home. I mean, you all know I, I work in the pre-construction phase and, and we talk to a lot of estimators and a lot of estimators spend most of their time answering people's questions all day and then working at night so that they can do their actual jobs because nobody's freaking bothering them. So like we built a software because we want them to have a place to go answer, get those questions answered and they can do their job during the 40 hour week. And I've had a couple privately say, well, yeah, that doesn't happen. And it's like, wait, no, no, that's the whole idea, right? Like you've got to we got it. It's got to be a carrot. It's got to be like, Hey, right. you can get your day back. You can get your evening with your kids back with your family. You can, 
go boating, go fishing, go hunting, whatever it is. And also, you know, when you digitize things too, you can take a break too. Like how many, how many construction folks can take a, a vacation truly and not uh, worry without, about without, it without paying for it when you get back or what you <laughs> paying for it when you get back <laughs> or getting called or there getting freaked go. out oh. or something while you're there. Like it's, it's pretty damn rare. So yeah, you're right. I think the industry has a mind shift meld there that would be fantastic because I think then you would give an incentive, Jonathan, you're right. Like if, if we don't have it, if it's all stick and I can go through like 10 instances of this in my career as an it guy that I wanted, I just, I was like, are we going to continually run directly into the wall and forget the walls there? Yeah. It's still right there. Yeah. Yeah, Right. Well, and Jeff, I think that um, it's an interesting conversation then, you know, and I know we're supposed to be talking data, but you know, the incentive is important because we want them to collect this data. You know, you, you used to do um, a presentation about millennials, right. And, and, and we were told for a little while that millennials are all about gamification and, and, and whatever. And I'm like, I'm going out to these job sites and a lot of these millennial journey journeymen for uh, apprentices, they could give a shit if they get a badge <laughs> for putting data into a form. Yeah. Like you have to have the right incentives. They want the same incentives that are, that are foreman do. They want to go home on time. They want to go home, not hurting yeah. money. You know, so yeah. money, they like yeah. money. Money always plays well. I'll get yelled so, at. <laughs> yeah. So you're right, Travis. They, they do respond. So the, the trick there, the twist there that I'll give you is they do <laughs> respond to gamification but not to fucking badges. Like right. we don't need you just leveled up badges. Because <laughs> <laughs> Level everybody plumber. else is looking around at them going, yeah, whatever. But if you truly gave them, you know, this was something that came up. Wow. This is way back when at Gallegos, but it was like uh, safety records and whatnot. If they were fully filled out, fully done on time, et cetera, et cetera. You could get earn an hour of PTO. Like you could literally get a full hour of PTO thrown back on your car. Like there was incentives that we finally started to create to get accurate information that had a, a true carrot for them. So, I mean, those are the kind of, if, if, if that badge was one hour of PTO, I, I bet you your millennials would have been a little different. Right. Right. No, that's a good yeah. point. No, I, I completely agree with that. Like the mentality of where, like, if you, like your work was your own, and you did good, like that was an incentive, like to be a workhorse essentially. And I'm not saying millennials aren't, but it's kind of where that value is no longer like a moral thing. It's more like legitimately, where's the human factor now? It's, I want to go be a human, tell me how to do that. And I will, I will love you forever, basically. Like that. Take me to your data. Yeah. And, yeah. And and we will love you. I you with a stick. You just never know. Part, yeah. I think there's another story though, you know, with the data, which is like, let's get them involved. Like, why, why do we want to collect the data? And, you know, yeah. it may not, it might be a little bit abstract, you know, and another example I would have is like, you'd look at cell way back in the before unlimited cell phone. Mess. So CFOs like, Hey, who's our top users for cell phone? Cause they're co- costing us the most money. And always it'd be like field, right? Mm-hmm. But it's not because they're goofing off. It's because they're calling the office 20 times a day for the latest, you know, RFI change or what, what have you. But it's like, okay, let's just because they're spending the most on cell phone minutes before unlimited plans, that doesn't mean it's a bad thing. That means they're actually 
collaborating, right? And they're trying to make sure they're doing the right thing by being in constant communication with that PM, with the office, what have you. And that's why they're the highest cell phone minute either. So there, there's another story that was like, okay, the data might've said one thing, hey, CFO is not happy because these top, you know, soups are on the top 10 user list of minutes and dollars, but hey, these are the guys that are getting their jobs done right, right? They're not yeah, if you, if you filter yeah. those, it's half to the office, a quarter to this vendor, and you know the oh, other quarter is yeah, the, the different the different GCs if you know it. <laughs> yeah, right, right. You're like I have a I have a question that kind of ties with that idea a lot, and that's what back when I was the manager of VDC, one of the things they said is we want to have these productivity measures, and then we want to award bonuses based on those. And I'm I'm sitting in this meeting, and I'm like, hey, we can't do that. And they go, why? And I go, well. Listen, if I have a really bad job, I take my best person and I put them on the bad job. And if the job is sinking, like totally sinking, it's out of control, I again take my best person and put them on the bad job. And if a job's easy, take somebody that doesn't know very much and I put them on that job. So what are some of the ways and and I, and I think of that as sort of data punishment, okay? <laughs> so like the data is going to look bad on every one of your jobs, but you're my best project manager. The problem is you're my best project manager. So when my, I'm about to lose a million dollars, I tap your shoulder. What are some of the ways that we can sort of clean data in order so that we don't have these situations where, where the data is just not really reflecting? The, I, I guess what I'm asking is, how often do you see a disconnect between causation and correlation and between use of data and, and what they're trying to get from it? Is that very common or is it something that's less common? Because I actually know firms that do reward projects based on project metrics. And you look at it and you're like, everybody that has an easy project just made money. And everybody that has a hard project just lost their shirt and is going to go move to another firm. Right, right. That's a good one. I'll let Kevin go first. <laughs> oh, man, I don't know if I have, I mean, I, it, my mind just went to like those firms that are like ESOPs, right? Where it's like everyone's got a stake and everyone goes down together. <laughs> Yes. Or they yeah. rise together. That, I mean, those people, it, they feel it in their pocket, right? Their wallet. Um, it's a, I mean, I've seen that, right? And again, you know, back in the contractor days, yeah, we, we would have bonuses and uh, we'd have nine great jobs and one just blew it and everybody lost. <laughs> so, like, so if you, happen, Jonathan, right? in, that, in that situation though, like this is, this is where, and, and this is where I think everybody listening has to spread it out and take it back to their companies and say like, this is why we have to measure now. Because if you were measuring at that point, Jonathan, how bad off that job was and where it was and potentially then bringing those, you know, that a team in to, to bring it back up, you could visually see the writing of the ship. So you could, you know, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, Amanda or Kevin, but, but data analytically, I could see like predictively, this is how far in the shitter this would have gone. If yeah. we didn't do something. I was something. just going to say that this is where I, you know, then I we swear, react. I swear again, like it got slightly less shitty because yeah. we put so-and-so yeah. on the job. Well, but then not, not just even slightly less, <laughs> like you could get an order of magnitude mm. number on a percentage and then really look at over time how those A players impact those kind of jobs and then look at the others where, the, you know, and, and now you got a, now you got a piece of data that you can work with. So you're not necessarily like, and it, here would be a cool one too. If you take that number and yeah. Okay. 
Trent, the eroding okay. margin decelerated. Oh, you You're right. So if you say, okay, we would have gone this far in the shitter. And so let's say we were going to go a million dollars off on this job. Right. And then you came in predictively, we would have been a million when we closed, but we came in and we were 250 million off. Okay. That's 750 million in the bonus that goes to your credit. Now I got an opportunity to bonus you off of something that truly did help my company and helped everyone and is somewhat of a relatively significant metric, I think. Right. And that's like, that's where data, like, I'm not even good at data. That's where data people are like so awesome to sit with because you can present the scenario and then they can present you things back. And, and that's where Jonathan, and at the time you were having that, let's be honest. I mean, that was a while ago when you're having that conversation. I don't, I don't know that like analytical trends and the ability to, to really, that we were thinking at that moment that way, right. but now I so, think we should be. So no, but that's the first time changed. I've heard somebody answer it that way too, Jeff. And that's actually a really, really good answer which is saying, if we had the data to really measure how bad off we are, we can tell you how much this person improves projects and well, it should be consistent. Well, that's a right. conversation we have all the time around tech is we, we talk ROI, we talk ROI, we talk ROI, but we never say, we, we never evaluate things on mistakes we didn't make, money we didn't lose, right? We always are, do we, do we make or break money, right? Um, ROI, gonna, the, the rescue of an investment, right? <laughs> right, yeah. Right, yeah. Um, I'm going to pivot real quick because I, I had a question pop in my head and it's probably maybe, you know, Kevin, you, you've got experiences, but Amanda, since you're the, the data scientist, you know, how, how good are you guys at using the data we have for predictive analytics because of the chaotic state of construction? That's a great one. And for me, we're not, in my opinion, we're not there. At least for the part of the industry I've seen, I can definitely say, again, the larger contractors, again, they have so much historical, because they've been able to get into the data realm earlier, they have that historical backing to probably say within this margin, we'll be like this off or we'll be this great, whatever. Um, for a lot of people, they're still getting into the data play. So for them, like predictive analytics is that it's like the um, the expert level, like you're not going to get there until you get your foundation set. And then also just really, really quickly, like Jonathan, your scenario would just remind me of like bad group projects. Like when you get stuck <laughs> with that group where, you know, you're just going to be that person. Um, but in terms of that, too, it's like you have to put that into a relative sense. And, you know, if you're going to compare apples to oranges, apples to oranges, but if you get enough trending data, you can make things relative in a sense to say, yeah, this is way off. But if you were to extrapolate out, it's within this margin. Yeah. What was the driving variable, right? Right. right. If every other group they were in did poorly, but the one they were in with you did well, what was the Delta variable there? Like you were, right? I right. mean, yeah. so. Yeah, it's all about perspective. <laughs> sure. I, I'd go, yeah, Amanda, just exactly. I think the top contractors they're on it i mean there's a i forgot the name maybe something the there's a uk firm right that's doing that deep analytics um, oh hansen and wade no i'm not sure that was there was some other firm that were out there in the uk and they were like looking at all the progress data and now they're like really driving predictive to like the nth degree so I, we're seeing that over overseas there but there was um like i said i've heard a few contractors here like yeah the top guys they're, they're they are putting together massive data warehousing infrastructures because they now know like we don't know exactly what we're looking for we've got a bunch of data we're going to put in a warehouse we're going to get a data scientist type person to go find those different needles that maybe we didn't realize they were there 
And, but again, the small and midsize, yeah, we, I mean, I think as an industry, we got to figure out how to get that, some of that into their hands too, because they're also a part of the industry. It does, right. you know, things don't- A large part, probably the largest right. part, right? Right, More, you know, like, you know, the big GCs, they don't, you know, they don't act alone in a vacuum, right? There is a whole ecosystem beneath them that that analytics and that predictive element were enabling them and their operations, then everything all tied, you know, rises. Yeah, we, we throw this out a lot. There's 400, you know, in our top 400, there's 19,000 others in the U.S. alone. I mean, <laughs> that's just a, like a, a easy yeah. figure. And and I, I know I've been saying this for a little while and with COVID going away and us opening back up and getting out there, it's been on the back burner a little bit. But, you know, Hugh Seaton and I and a couple of others has been talking about this punching above your weight. And one of the things that I think is missing here, Kevin, that you're that you're hitting on, though, is that if if you are a new contractor or a small contractor and you really take the time to digitize your core processes and not not digital paper, you truly get digital data. You can actually, because of the algorithms and because of the way BI is and how accessible it is, you can get to insights and analytics very, very fast, much faster than those larger ones can because, you know, Travis, most of those large contractors to your analogy are, they're more in a sewer pond than they're in, you know, turds in your pond. And you can be a small pond, small turds, clean them out quick and go and work with some fantastic vendors that are out there that can aggregate the information you need and then use things like Azure, you know, and, you know, a lot, most of you're running your, I, I, I can't think of how many contractors are running Office 365 and not using half the stuff they have. So if you hook up most of your other platforms and you ask, you know, like, can I access my data? And by the way, can you, can we have that quick, like public service announcement? You must own your data. <laughs> Just you own your so data, please. It, it's yours. It, it's your gold. If not, you're just like mining gold for somebody else. Like that's just a bad idea. So own, own your data, please. But, um, you can get there fast and get ahead of people. You can see which markets are moving faster, where you're doing better, where you should um, focus your efforts, et cetera. So just, just, I'm trying to push that, you know, that's it. And it looks like um, somebody's got a good question. So Trent, you want to grab that one or. Oh, sure. I don't mind. Um, Trevor's just kind of talking about, we're hitting on the small to mid-sized contractors. Um, he's saying that like they're, most of them are just now getting up to speed with what BIM, VDC, total stations, pre, I mean, prefab, all these things that the bigger guys have kind of figured out, this is all still very new to a lot of these contractors. So now he's like, now you're throwing in big data. So his question is, where should they start? Should they start with data first? Or, I mean, you know, where, where does the focus really belong? I don't know if I know the answer. That's know. a really good question. I have Kevin a topic like on it, it, but Kevin, you got the answer. Go. <laughs> uh, it depends, I guess, right? Uh, <laughs> that's the answer. It always depends. the answer in construction. It depends. It depends. I definitely would be very leery of like just saying big data for big data because it's a term, but it, it is more like, what do we need to actually like improve upon? Right. So let's yeah. find a actual like problem first. Uh, and then what is the workflow? What are the ins and outs? Who's touching what? What's the data that kind of goes into that? 
I mean, start small. I, I, I'm, I, am, I am no way saying, hey, big data must happen now. Start, you know, with easy, lower. And I think Amanda talked talk about labor and, and uh, attendance rates and timekeeping and productivity. That's pretty, that's pretty easy to start to look at, right? Because you're already taking time cards. You do, hopefully you're doing progress tracking. Most of us are, most of you guys are. You've got activity codes, cost codes, and budgets. So you're already tracking along for some kind of performance factor. So take kind of some of that that you're doing now and then try to peel back some of the onion. Like, okay, last five jobs, what did that data kind of tell us? Okay, our performance factor dropped here, here, and here, and here. Why? Was it design? Was it materials? But you've got, you know, I'm, I'm going to guess most contracts have some already sense of data collection. Timekeeping and productivity is probably the key for everybody. What's inside of that? What can you do with just that as a starting point? Prove it out. Oh, yeah, we can see performance factor it happened, you know, it dropped because this happened, right? What was that? Was it a material shift situation? You know, you can start to ask questions now because you're taking data you probably already have. Yeah. Two things, Trent, you're absolutely right. The man is going to yell at us for calling our ERP systems or our time card data, big data. (laughs) I'll I'll just let you go. And I, and Amanda, I want your, I want your take on this because I, I, and then I, and then I want to offer up something analogous that I think people need to, to think about in the industry, but go, Amanda, you first. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that is a great question. Like, you know, if you're going to get into all this and then also factor in the data for me, my opinion is, is go ahead, get cloud storage. If you don't have it, it's, you can get plans that are relatively within your range, whatever it is. Right. And and any of those things are going to have the ability to collect data. So if you're just sitting there and you're not going to collect it while you kind of could, I mean, yeah, you may not know what to do. You may not know what to analyze yet, right? But if you down the line finally like, man, I, I got all this stuff now and put, it's been you know three years. Now let me start to look at the data. It's like, I, you potentially had three years there. Yeah, you didn't know how to analyze it yet, right? Or what to do with it. But if you had stored it somewhere and then were able to retrieve it to then say like, okay, I got, I got this under my feet. I can go do some historical analysis. So I would say, yeah, if you're not the analysis part of actually making that translatable like nugget, then fine, you don't have to, but still house it for now until you get up to that point of being a pro. I I will say on this one question that he has, I'm taking a solid stand because when I go into a company and I do discovery, what I'm doing is pulling data from your company to make a decision whether you should do prefab or whether you should buy a Trimble or whether you should get into VDC. So I feel like with all those small companies, I, I feel solid in saying if big data may be the first thing, not big data, but data and analytics may be the first thing you want to start on because you don't know, like Amanda said earlier, whether your best foreman are even showing up on the job site. So until you know their state of reality, you should probably shouldn't be buying a Trimble or investing in a VDC department. You know, I have people that cut a lot of pipe, but they don't cut quite enough pipe to need a pipe cutter. Do they really know or are they going to go buy a pipe cutter? So I feel like I honestly, I feel like I can take a stand on this and saying data should be the foundation of your decision making when it comes to all those things that Trevor asked. Well, um, to your, to so your somebody point, John, can light me up about that later. <laughs> to, to your point and to, to Kevin's point, I mean, a lot of this stuff that you're kind of already doing, even if you're a small contractor, you, you have to pay people. So there's, there's data you can mine there, right? So you, you're already doing a part of this. And then the rest of it is actually part of, the data that we're calling big data. So you, you know, you can start to dabble in the rest. Jeff, I know you had another thought. No. Yeah. So it's Amanda, you hit on it and Jonathan, you actually hit on it. And that's why when, when you say, do you start with the data? It's, it's like it, it, 
you can't go to every contractor and be like, I'm going to roll out the largest IT, everything. I'm going to put them to the tilt, right? I've been a consultant for a long time before all this. And, you know, you walk in somewhere and somebody would try to trick a company out and it would be like, okay, now you're calling me every day. Cause it's such an extensive system for me to, for me to, to build. And, and I had one of the coolest people that I sat down with that took over for me when a company got to the point where they needed an internal IT guy. And he said to me, he said, Jeff, the one thing I love is you didn't preclude me from doing anything in the future, but I know why you went to the length you went and there's lots farther to go, but you didn't do that because then you, you would have been here working all the time. So like you didn't, so you said it, Amanda, like make sure that those things are in the cloud and accessible later have and sit down Trevor and have a discussion around data and data being important. And so when you make a decision, you say, okay, will this preclude me from doing something down the road that I can see coming? The easiest one is like, I had lots of people be like, well, I can keep paying for a pop email server. And I was like, yeah. And then you grow and you're screwed and you have to get rid of all that and go to office 365. And this was early in the office 365 days. Don't get me wrong. You know, and it was like, well, I can go to exchange online. And I'm like, yeah, no, still not going to, we're going to office 365. Well, we're not going to use all that. Yeah. But you're also not going to outgrow it. It's not going to preclude you from anything. And you're going to have this active, like I don't send anybody up with a, a local active directory anymore. You're, you're, you're going to the Azure active directory and that's where you're going to be. And you're going to be in the cloud. So yeah. So really sit down, Trevor, and have the discussion. And whenever you're going to make one of those other decisions, make sure it doesn't preclude you down the road from really utilizing it, accessing it, and doing something with it. And then, then, so unfortunately, the answer is, yeah, you got to kind of bounce all those balls at once. But that's, that's what consultants, that's what people like us, that's, you know, that's what, if you're electrical, that's what Amanda and those folks at NECA are there teaching at, at you know, the national convention, get there and listen. Right. So, um, there you go. Every forecaster does, you know, every PM does forecasting. This is yours. Yeah. Look Thanks. down the road. Sorry. That, so Jonathan, <laughs> you, you knew I was going to jump on a soapbox, but it actually didn't argue with you because no, you're right. No. Cause when a consultant like you comes in, they, they can't work with nothing. And right. It's yeah. like, again, if there's nothing there, the first thing you're going to do, Jonathan is going around and survey everybody, which is collecting data. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And or you're going to pull out their files and be like, give me all your old job files and I'm going to try and your data. Take me to your data. Yeah, right. I'm going to sit in the corner and cry. <laughs> Trevor, you were not here for the pre-show, but we joked about the fact that I walk into a lot of like rooms and I look in the side of the conference room is there is their total station sitting in the corner. And I'm like, okay, well, I have a big piece of data right there. <laughs> you have not figured out how to use this because we had like two or three of them and we couldn't keep them in. Um, do, do you I check have... for dust? Is that is that like your first thing? <laughs> right. like, yes. Take the white glove. Oh. White glove across the top. Did it work? Mm. It's like Amanda's I, treadmill, which because you said it didn't sound like she likes to run. Dust. <laughs> and there's towels all over it. Right. <laughs> it's, it's a great clothesline. <laughs> I have a Peloton clothesline. Yeah. Good for you. Oh, okay. Have, we digress. We digress. We've got to take these guys back to data. So let's yeah. look forward. I want, to, I want to take us and spin it. We're dorks, right? We go forward. The industry is starting to listen. You know, we're really starting to see a lot. But um, if, if you had to look out, you know, 10 years from now, Kevin, and you could think about what's something people listening, like, just don't think that's going to happen that you think 
will probably happen, especially given what you're seeing with it with Ignite um, and and the other companies you've been with, because she gets this great purview. Uh, boy, there's lots of things going to happen. Is it the future? Ten years out? Is that that's what you're asking? Yeah, yeah, ten years out. Like, can you make a prediction, or can you and can you? Is there just something you think people are betting against that you think is going to happen? Oh boy. Well, that's going to be, I have to think about that. I, I think there's going to be a couple of things, right? So let's, let's call it the perfect storm right now. That's happening right now. 5G, we've got a lot of people retiring. There's going to be a natural shift of like, okay, something else is going to disrupt big time, right? I, I think 10 years might be even too far out, but like within the five years, um, we know there's going to be a shift in way that people build. We've got robotics coming right now. And of course we've got, you know, all kinds of IOT stuff coming out. I think there's going to be just this whole, the way we build is going to be, it's going to look a lot different um, five years out from now. The way we go and plan materials, the way we go and look at design, the way we actually manage, you know, design changes. I think there's just going to be, I don't think it'll be like apparent. It won't be like obvious, but it'll be happening under the surface. Like, I don't think it's, as, my response might not be as sexy as maybe someone would hope, but it's going to be different we're gonna be better we're gonna be i think predictive is you know overused a lot but it's gonna be there's gonna be a better way for which information is getting disseminated how we're keeping on top of revisions um people start to treat the data and the content they're in for what it's really worth because right now we're right we're not we're talking about this being a very questionable thing but i think and if people and the top contractors already know right this is real competitive edge stuff I'm going to push this down, this idea down to the small and midsize. So everybody now, five years from now, like, oh yeah, I got data. I got content. We're, we're weaponizing it so that we're getting better on our labor. We're getting better on our rates. We're getting better with material handling. Um, it's going to be, again, under the surface. I don't know if it's going to be super obvious, unfortunately. <laughs> People are going to get more wiser to the facts. Well, the yeah, biggest yeah, changes yeah. never are, right? I mean, they, they're gradual. They're, they're at the, the yeah. roots of things, yes. Data will be their edge. I, I want to pull from that for one, because you used a word that gets misrepresented sometimes. And, and I think you used it correctly, but I think we got to define it a little bit further. Weaponizing data. When you say that, what do you, what, you know, weaponizing always sounds like, Ooh, I'm going to do bad things with it. But when you say that, what is a con how's a contractor going to weaponize that? So like we, you know, you look at a budget, right? It's like, okay, we always build in our contractors always build in fluff, right? 10%, 5%. We know there's going to be some inefficiency somewhere along the line. So they're going to account for that in their project. Well, weaponizing it now is like, all right, we know better. Can we either get better with our bid because we are tighter with that? We know how our labor is going to flush out and therefore we're going to be more competitive that way, or we're going to keep that bid number, but we're going to be more profitable uh, at the end of the project, right? So like weaponizing it is a win right? For the contractor, we're going to be better in either way we bid or the way we generate profit. I think that's the easiest. There's a bunch of examples, but I think for those two, if we're using data in the right way and we're looking again at productivity. Now that's a big word too, but Hey, can, if we go to bid, can we actually be better in some way? Because we yeah, know I, I, That's where I was hoping you were going, because I think the two, I think two things are going to come together there with that is you, you're right. Um, we're going to weaponize it from a, a winning more work type perspective and then, you know, uh, I, I think I would, I would step in here too. not just winning more work, winning work that we can do well at. Yeah. I don't necessarily it's need to win, win every freaking job, but if I can win the jobs, I'm going to make 30% margin on, 
that's where I'm going to focus. Well, and I'm going to, I'm going to win work with partnerships like Trent's doing right now with IPD that everybody's going to do better, right? The mm -hmm. building overall cost is going to go down. I'm still going to be profitable and I'm going to beat out the next person because I was able to weaponize that information, provide a level of transparency and deliver. So that's where I was hoping you're going with it, Kevin. Yeah, that's, that's great. That's a cool prediction. And I, I kind of hoped one of you. Would it. All yeah. right. Well, we have been, we both have it backgrounds. You know. <laughs> yeah, it is what it is, but Amanda, you have a, a different purview with, with Nika um, and the data that you're working with now. And so I'd be really interested, especially given, you know, the electrical trades and maybe focusing a little bit more on the trades. What do you see, you know, that you think, a lot of people are betting on in the next five to 10 years won't happen, but the data is telling you it's going to happen. Um, well, big one is the way we estimate, I think, because just hearing all these things about our, you know, prefabbing, um, you know, because right now it's very manufacturer specific. So how do you determine that one? How do you have a standardized process for that? Um, so how do we um, estimate? But the other big one is also encompassing suites. And what I mean by that is, I don't know if you all remember, but when IoT was so hot in 2016, like, you know, uh, Black Friday was like, you were buying every manufacturer, um, you know, piece of technology. And it got annoying after all, because you had 15 apps for 15 different things, right? And it was until, you know, the past couple of years where Google was buying up a lot of them. Um, Samsung started buying up a lot of them. So now you're down to those one or two apps. And I think our contractors are in that 15 app field right now. And okay. they want that one suite because it means more efficiency. It means easier. It means communicating. So I see that coming. Oh, yeah. You guys, I love it. I love having well you said, guys yeah. on. Um, yeah. 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 I, I mean, Jonathan, Trent, Travis, any last questions? I know we're getting we're getting close to that hour. Any even feedback? That was Amanda. That was awesome. Because so I think yeah, I mean, a CIO I was talking to a few months ago. I was like, I don't need another app, but if you can tell me, like, I, right. I can somehow get everything in one place, that's what I want. Yeah, that yeah, no, data I, aggregation. Right. We I was going to say, I, 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 I was going to end with that. I mean, I agree with both Kevin and and, and Amanda. Like, I did a whole presentation at the the MC the Joint MCA MEP Innovation Conference where. We're talking about you know what to do when things go wrong, and a lot of it was around app fatigue and, and the whole the whole innovation fatigue. And, and we're very cutting edge here, but we're tired of it. Like twenty four hundred. Oh, we've blown past that one, Kevin. Yeah, we need sure. the contact oh, yeah. crew, contact, contact survey to go over that one. I think we're probably over forty oh, really? five hundred five thousand now. It's crazy. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's nuts. It's nuts. But if hey. If we, if we, and I'm wearing my shirt guys, I wore this for you guys, by the way, nice. yeah. right. CDX, if we can, if we can actually, yeah, I'll pay him this month. Don't worry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if, uh, you know, hashtag shared pains, hashtag show me your data. I don't know what else, what else do we want. What's um, in it for me? What's, what's in it for, for me? me? <laughs> um, no, if we can really start to, to have just a few connected platforms. And I think you're going to see that in IOT, Amanda, you're absolutely right. And, and then w the great thing about, Samsung, Google, others, you might have some negatives about them, but portability of the data and accessibility to the data and then usability of the data. There's where I was talking about with the precluding yourself from doing something. Now we're not precluding ourselves from accessing that cross-referencing it to other things. So yeah. it's really I, I, as long cool. as, as long as the platforms that, that form, I have to go out here, as long as the platforms that form don't step on innovation, 
I, I think that we, we, a lot of times we have this, this idea that we want one ring to rule them all. We want everything in one spot, which I agree from a, from a, a connectivity standpoint, from a, a um, usability standpoint, it, it is key, but we have to have um, um, what's the word ecosystems out there that of, of whatever that um, allow us to still innovate the 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 one you know, we we have a lot of players in our space that that sometimes try to own the whole thing and push out anything that new that might come in yeah no you're you're absolutely right and i think trent you just got back to us so if you had a comment i'm gonna let you go to it because we lost you for a second in the ether yeah big storm here my power just went out for a second so fun yeah. times yeah all right well Travis, you hit it on it. And, and, and I'm going to personally plug our next show on that exact point, <laughs> oh, yeah. because I think the paradigm shift in data is important, but the paradigm shift in the responsibility of the platforms that support that data and, and really us that come from this side. And I know Kevin's passionate about this. I'm passionate about it. And we come from this software side of things that you need to choose different vendors. You need to do it differently. And that's what next show is going to be on. I'm actually going to turn over the microphone to one of these other three dorks. And I'm going to sit in Amanda and Kevin's seat. We're going to bring on Chad Pearson. And we're going to talk a, a lot about that transformation and, and the responsibility that I think both sides have. It's, a, it's not a one-way street. It's a two-way street. And you're right. And those platforms can stifle innovation or they can peak innovation mm -hmm. and I, I think we have to shoot for peak but we all have a choice in that and it, it is about you guys making that choice so but on that before i let you go at, you know amanda any last words anything you want to say where can people hook up with you how can they can continue the conversation take it away yeah uh i love being a honorary dork so this is awesome so thank you um if anyone wants to reach me amanda at nikonet.org. It's so fun when you get aliases for emails. Um, but yeah, reach out to me, whatever. I love chatting, especially about data, but I also love chatting about random theories. I love it. So thank you again for having me. You're not honorary. You are a dork. You're Just, a dork. Yeah. You, know, you are a dork. <laughs> you get a badge. Dork leader. Dork leader. <laughs> Kevin Suhu, it was, it's great to have you on again. Um, let everybody know where they can hook up with you now, oh, how they can find out a little bit more about Ignite. He's, he might be uh, in contact crew realm. Yeah, uh, maybe there too. But um, <laughs> no, yeah, easy for me. K-K-Suhu, S-O-O-H-O-O at Ignite, E-G-N-Y-T-E.com. And I think to one, just really, you know, if you're, you know, we are very interested right now, especially for our Ignite construction customers. And we want to look at, you know, a, a, a collaboration. What is your data telling you? What can we tell you about that? So for at least our customer base, we are very much around like, Let's actually look, let's do a little bit of a data science on your folders and, and files and what does that mean? So we are, we are actively researching that right now. So if any of our customers are listening, I uh, wanna you know, have that conversation now, please do, do reach out, um, love to talk. Yeah, it, he, he, we talked about incentives earlier. If, if you email him, he will send you Japanese whiskey. <laughs> oh, on the, not email. Oh, not email. We'll get a lot of emails. <laughs> You're about to get a lot of emails. I'm going to email me you. My wife's going to email you. Make My kids just emailed you. you. It's right. crazy. Yeah. Oh, oh, that's it. It's been awesome. Uh, Amanda, we'll let you get on the way. Kevin, we'll let you get on the way. But 
not without saying thank you. Thanks for dorking out. Thanks for everybody who joined us today to listen in. This was the Dorkcast episode 29. Take me to your data. The tonal of the gym? Yeah, so it's a wall mount system with articulated arms and magnetic uh, servos in it. I, I am getting constantly advertised on that thing, man. How is it? <laughs> That's cool. like what, that. That is what I consider Facebook to be anymore. Is just the tonal gym advertisement. Oh, you must open one ad and now they got you for life. Yeah. Oh, you know what it is? Well, talking I think my... about it will help. That'll... <laughs> yeah. Around your phone. Where's my phone? Yeah. <laughs> is there a way? Is there an air purifier on the market that is cheap and I can throw in a room that is going to get rid of the smell of gym uh, in my wow. foyer? Because my entire foyer smells like my son. I mean, it just smells <laughs> like teenage freaking BO. And and I, I like almost bought one of those tower air purifiers. And I'm like, I'm going to ask somebody if these actually work before I do it. It's 15,000 like, a semester? 15,000 a semester. At a public university? No, it's private. You guys oh, are okay. I mean, it's not like, not really Ivy League. It's kind of Ivy League, but not really. It's, oh, well it's then, doesn't. Well, then that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. It has a good reputation. The Ivy Leagues of the non-Ivy Leagues. Maybe, maybe just don't have smart kids. I don't know. <laughs> just, oh. yeah, do I want, I don't know if I want one, but I got to get right back to work as soon as this is over. So. Is it a want or a need? Yeah. I feel like, I like for me, my name's been thrown around on this show a couple of times. So I got I to gotta have something. You gotta represent. Uh, you're brought up when anytime we talk about Japanese whiskeys or whatever, it's always like, oh yeah, Suhu sent me this, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I got, got one. Oh, this, this. The problem is, is like up the world. Yeah. The problem is like our because you know it's always a it's always a BIM or a VDC problem. But I, I like the way John says it is like no one ever admits that it's a staffing problem, right? It's like it's whatever, but so the way we're designed now is even if everything works properly, we tread water, you know, it's like, <laughs> so when everything goes to shit, we are just fucked. I mean, it's bad. And this past couple of weeks, everything's gone to shit, you know? So, um, so it's the only way to make up for it when you don't have the staff is to staff yourself for yeah. two days. And <laughs> I, uh, no, I don't miss those days back when <laughs> When I was at the contractor level. <laughs> yeah. Problem just, it's like, I keep telling myself, I just need to get out of BIM. It sucks. <laughs> nobody, knows how, <laughs> nobody knows how to manage it or utilize it or do any, you know, it just, uh, they just kind of. It's never going to catch on. You should probably. No, nah, it'll never, else. it'll never take off. Honestly. I actually I, wore I keep... masks today going out. Cause I was like, and somebody looked at me funny and I was like, this is for you, not me. Right. You want me to sneeze on your ass? I will. <laughs> why their ass? Why? why? <laughs> Spoken like a true VDC. You got to take everything fucking literally. <laughs> <laughs> why are we sneezing on people's butts? Sneezing on asses. We're missing like, all this good stuff. I don't. I don't have the ability to record. All the ass steaming is not going to be part of the episode. Um, we were recording, recording when we got on. Yeah, 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 but I always use my copy because because it's better. Well, but yeah, I live right next to a fire station, and on all of those podcasts, <laughs> yeah, you're not never heard. That. Yeah, the the fire truck so it does work. Nice. 
Oh, it actually doesn't pick it up? Yeah, it doesn't pick it up, which is nice because I'm just awkwardly like trying to stare and smile and not be like, I wonder if we can hear this right now. <laughs> I think when we, um, when we did the show with Hugh Seaton, he was in a hotel room and his, uh, oh, yes. his smoke alarm was beeping like, like intermittently just, and it was driving me crazy. <laughs> I thought it was mine for like half the show. I'm like looking at like <laughs> just slowly drive you nuts. Yeah. It doesn't it's take our, much these days. It's all right, Trent. You're gonna lose your hearing in no time. I already, <laughs> when I set off the little alarm in my wallet, have to ask my kids, can you hear the chirp? Because like I lost whatever whatever hearing requ- was required for that high-pitched noise. Yeah. 